you announce aloud that you are bailing, place your plane back at Peterson and miss 12 turns. So that's the only option. Glide to a landing or miss 12 turns. So therefore, I go through the hazard. Plane blown down <laughs> spaces west. I thought it was going to say plane blown up. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought it said. Yes, it is. You can now glide I can to glide. That's <laughs> <laughs> great. Welcome to Which Game First, where we explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we find any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, it's Evan's Lion Knights versus Mike's Tiger Pirates in the grid E jungle. Next up, we risk whiplash as we keep looking left and right in Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig. And lastly, we try to avoid a Charlie Foxtrot as we come in for a hard landing on empty in Steve Canyon. I'm your host, Celeste Angelus, here with my decades-long gaming buddies, Evan Bernstein. Hello. Ed Povolitis. Hey, it's game time. And Mike Grenier. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Our first game up this week is Jungla, designed by Marco Cassini, published by WoW Game. Number of players, two. Ages eight and up. Playtime, 30 to 120 minutes. Okay, Mikey, tell us, what's in the box? The cover of the box has lions, tigers, but instead of bears, it shows angry alligators brandishing jawbone clubs, turtles with armor on armor, and a host of other jungle denizens armed to the teeth and ready to do battle. Under the canopy, you'll find a board, two hunting markers, 32 animal cards, 32 stands, and two player aids. And that's what's in the box. Well, before we find out if this game inspires victory roars or yowls of defeat, Evan, tell us how it's played. Jungla is a two-player head-to-head strategy game in which each team consists of various animals of the wild. Each animal uses their unique movement rates and special abilities to duel it out mano a mano. The aim is to take the animals in your pack from your den squares and move them across the board to the enemy hunting squares. Get an animal to your enemy's hunting square, and you'll receive a victory point. Each player controls 15 animals. The direction and number of squares permitted for each move depends on whether the animal starts from a land or a water square. Defeated animals are imprisoned and removed from the board. The first pack to score 5 victory points, or to imprison all of the enemy animals, becomes the true ruler of the wild. And there's a battle cry with this game. Brave in the melee, loyal to the king! Brave in the, Brave melee. In the melee, melee, loyal, loyal to, to the, the king. king! Huzzah! <laughs> now we can play. <laughs> uh, this was a prototype copy that we got mailed to us all the way from Italy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is where these designers are, and it is on Kickstarter right now, as we speak. Interestingly, you could really tell it was published or rather produced during COVID because it came with two face masks. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I about that. <laughs> a nice touch. Screen printed with the jungle art on it. Wow. Yeah. And uh, those masks are featured prominently on their website, which has a uh, pretty amazing art in the game as well. Yeah. Yeah. There is a lot of character in this game. What did you guys Ooh. think of the style? Well, it's a uh, cartoon. 
<laughs> it's something it's something I would have watched in the nineties on an animated cartoon show on my television. Yeah, it kinda reminds me a little bit of like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles where it's just like right. not a high amount of colors, but really like graphic. Yes, it is a lot like the early four color computer uh coloring. It does have those kinds of tones. You're mm-hmm. right. And there's a lot, like this you guys said, a lot of different animals in this game. Like I would say too many animals, maybe. Uh, <laughs> well, it's a jungle out there. I know. That's true. <laughs> that's well said, Ed. Evan and Mike, you guys played this game, um, and Ed and I were pretty much just watching. I wanted to ask a couple of questions. Did mm-hmm. each side have the same animals or distinctly different types of animals, different animal species. Each side has the same amount of pieces, same style of animals, same animals that all have the same abilities and movement patterns, uh, like chess. Well, co- correct me if I'm wrong, but there were a couple animals that functioned exactly the same way, but were on different sides of the fence. That is correct. All right. Yeah, there was a couple Uh of them. Like, I think Gazelle was on one side, but Zebra was on the other side or something like that. I see what you're saying. I think the big one is the leader, the the lion versus the tiger. Right. That's true, too. Yeah. Yeah. One is a lion, one's a tiger, but they move exactly the same way. They have the same effective movement, right? If you were to score them, they'd be worth the same value. Right. Like the dark chess pieces and light chess pieces. So- Correct. Is it like chess in that each- Animal has its own movement style. I wish it were like chess. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, was, it did have that same kind of mechanic where each different thing had their own style of movement. It's not like you can move in a diagonal and kill anything in that diagonal. It would be like some creatures can only move to their left diagonal and they can only affect spaces seven and eight away from themselves. <laughs> they couldn't affect everything in that line or whatever. Right. So I noticed that the rule book is pretty thick for this game, and it is played on a much bigger grid, right? Octagonal. Yeah, I noticed that they were octagons. Why? So that that baffled me at first. <laughs> at first, I'm <laughs> like, well, octagons are the same exact thing as squares would be, right? Because you know, you can if if you have a square board where you can move diagonally, uh, it's the same thing as having a octagonal octagonal board with the little squares in between but the reason they did that was because facing is very important to this game because facing takes a whole action if you want to turn three you know three spaces to your right that costs you an action and to be sure where you're facing they tried to make the octagon shape so that you could be perpendicular to that space to tell that you're supposed to be going that way so to make your facing very clear because uh, it looked like the, the base game is intended to have these plastic stands in there that are going to have like an octagonal base on it. Right, which will, which will help because right now with the flat pieces, it's really hard to tell in a lot of different ways where you're facing. For one, because they're two-sided art and your snake's profile on one side of the art, it looks like it's facing left and on the other side of the art, it looks like it's facing the opposite direction. So, Oh. Is facing, it shouldn't be. No, how do you know which way is facing out? Well, right now everything's facing forward, I assume. Well, look at the way it's pictured, though. How do I know which way That's is That's his forward? back, right? So should he be like this? Is that Well, forward? which way? No, well, if you're coming towards me, that's forward. This? But he's turned right. <laughs> yeah, I get what you're saying, Mike, but But forward, his face right. is on both sides. No, it's, it's like the back of its face. The back of its face? <laughs> yes. Come, can you show me the back of your face? <laughs> 
Mike and I had a debate on which direction the giraffe was facing. <laughs> right. Is this the front of the giraffe? Is that the back of the giraffe? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow. This, I think that will be solved if they have miniatures. But with the flat pieces, it just doesn't really work. That's right. We, we played with a prototype. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we did our best. <laughs> Evan, you said this game reminded you of Stratego. Why is that? A little bit in the same sense that some of the pieces in Stratego can kind of jump far across the board and sort of the scouts and there were other pieces uh, in Jungla that sort of had that similar kind of action. And also the uh, the grid itself. I know it was, as Mike was saying, it was an octagon, but at the same time, it sort of had it had a similar feel to it in that, re- in that regard. Plus in Stratego, there's a couple places where actually you can't go. You have to kind of move around. And I thought... That also, because part of this game takes place in the water and some of it on land, in a sense, that also is similar because a land creature trying to move through the water is limited to moving one octagon at a time and vice versa. A water-based animal trying to move on the land limits themselves to one space at a time. And I thought it was a really good idea to have it, uh, your movement counts only to where you started in the turn. So if you start in the water... Even if your next space that you're going to move to is on land, you'll still get the movement bonus for being a water creature in the water. Yeah, you get your full breadth of movement mm-hmm. still if you started in the water and you're a water creature. But be careful. But then you're on the land and then you're then you're hampered. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> be careful because Beware. if you have like a four movement on the water, but you start in water and go three extra spaces into land, it's going to take you three turns to get that per, that character back into the water again if you want to use I ran it. my lion out into the water for a big kill on Mike <laughs> and then like, oh, I'm in the water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was crawling his way out for the rest of the game. <laughs> Um, the pieces are strange too in some of their movement. Like the snake can never go straight forward. He has to go into one of the three like uh angled directions for his move. Um mm-hmm. and uh so the snake slithers around. Yeah, like eleven o'clock and one o'clock. Oh, that's yeah, no cool. straight forward. Yeah, it's cool, <laughs> right. So you're kind of going zigzagging back across the board to get to people. So that was I thought that was pretty neat. One question I have is, uh, what's it like when you start losing pieces? It seems like it start off like very balanced, but I wonder, like, once you have like a few pieces in jail, as it were, does it, does it start getting lopsided really quick? It, I mean, for me, it kind of felt like it was about to get lopsided. I took a bunch of Evans pieces with the, uh, uh, what was it, the uh, the buzzard, vulture. the vulture. Yeah, that's it. The vulture moves in a diagonal either one space or seven spaces or eight spaces. <laughs> so like, it's kind of a sneak attack across the whole board. And, um, so that guy, he, he got a couple good hits in and then, uh, it started to feel a little bit lopsided. Of the 15 animals that we each start with, I think there were 13 different move patterns. Yeah. That's too many. Sorry. If you're trying to map this out in your head, in other words, picture this on Board Game Arena in which you click on a piece and it shows you what your possible moves are. Mm-hmm. Something like that would have been a very, very helpful. Yeah. And you try to do that with 13 different move patterns. The whole board basically lights up in your head. It's nearly impossible really mm-hmm. to see see that play out. Oh, yeah. And unlike a game like chess where you can do that, you know, you've got pawns, but you know eight of the eight of the 16 pieces you have are pawns you know exactly the right pattern that they move in you don't have to worry about which direction they're facing either <laughs> yeah oh and think about yeah. this too because it's chess like you also are planning a couple moves ahead or at least attempting to so you not right. only need to know your 15 pieces and which way they're already facing but you have to remember what each of your opponent's 15 uniquely moving pieces are going to be able to do 
during their turn and calculate for that after your move is over. <laughs> I, I noticed a couple of key pieces too. Like they have a spider that just, if people move into the radius of the spider and don't move out fast enough, they get captured. So there's pieces mm-hmm. that seemed really good for like center control and all that. But a little bit of a goaltender. Yeah, kind of a goaltender yeah, or slow the right. center of the board down a little bit. And we had kind of a fight with our spiders for a while. Yeah, we decided to bring them out to the middle yeah. of the board and keep each other at yeah. bay for a bit. So after seeing all those different pieces, all those different moves, it actually gave me kind of a cool idea to have like maybe start with like five pieces that all move like the simplest way that is allowed. And then each player kind of quietly picks one piece, like up to five pieces that they want. So they only have to remember a few pieces in what they do. That is, that's a really good variant. Yeah, that would be better. Yeah, that would be That'd much be better. Yeah, it sounds like a, uh, a very good player aid would also serve the game well. It's like you have a, a, a like a, a one page reference that you can see all the different patterns right there. It came with a, it came with a a player aid that was like a two sided piece of paper. Uh-huh. Um, but still, like I I found every every turn, I'm like saying to myself, "What does this guy do?" And then looking at Evans spot and say if i do this with this guy what is that guy gonna do you know and i'm looking at this mm-hmm. reference sheet for like you know three or four times longer than i'm actually playing the game for yeah yeah definitely well, slows things down chess yeah. players you know they have to think ahead too they have to think a lot about what mm-hmm. movements will work with where number of chess moves times 12 yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah this, this is like super duper chess <laughs> <laughs> right right <laughs> Well, uh, the one thing I thought was really neat about the design of this game is I know that the designer worked with his kids mm-hmm. on the game, and I thought that was really interesting. And they did start from chess, so yeah, I, I enjoyed cool. I enjoyed reading about the history of this, uh, the background of this particular Kickstarter. It's pretty interesting. If you want to check it out, I do recommend you go to the Kickstarter site uh, and read all about it. And you can see our unboxing of the prototype. There's lots of cool things to see in that on our Instagram. Mm-hmm. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Jungla. Evan? Jungla has some good game conventions, like the eight-way directions and the unique movements for each animal and the slowdown areas. But overall, it was a brain strain trying to map the game in my head. Ugh, and that cut into my enjoyment just too much. So I have to bury it. Mike? They created some really interesting mechanics and gave a, a good nod to chess, which I totally appreciate. But that being said, it needs some editing. There's just too much going on. I appreciate it, but for now, I have to bury it. If you have thoughts about Jungla or the Kickstarter going on now, let us know. We are at Which Game First on all social media, and you can join us on our Discord server. Brave in the melee! Loyal to the king! Brave, Brave in the melee! Loyal, Loyal to, to the, the king! king. <laughs> hey, Mikey, Evan, and Ed, what does Which Game First have going on? Well, we're working on the Connecticut Festival of Indie Games. We're getting a whole bunch of designers together from the Connecticut, New York, and surrounding areas. Hey, if you want to travel from uh, Arizona, by all means do. Oh, please do. We'd love to have you there. Like travel Mikey, from Europe. <laughs> Mikey, where is the Festival of Indie Games being run? It's going to be in Hartford, Connecticut. At Connecticon, which is a huge huge fandom convention. Mm-hmm. So that means thousands, thousands of attendees are going to be foot trafficking right past 
this Festival of Indie Games. We're so excited because it's a great opportunity for designers to get in front of people to show off their games in progress. It's also a competition. Uh, That's right. We have applications online right now if you'd like to uh, try to get yourself registered to compete. You can go to ConnecticutFig.com, Fig, F-I-G, dot com. And uh, not only will you get a chance to compete with people, but you'll also be able to share information with them and get some really useful criticism and give some really useful criticism to people that are in the community with you. It's awesome. So the fig's been going on a long time, but this is the first year we're running it as Witch Game First. We've judged it in the past. And Ed and I have actually competed in it a couple times, too. (laughs) Yeah, a while back. (laughs) We hope some of our listeners can come by and hang out with us over at the con. Come on and have fun with us. We'll be there. It is September 9th through 12th, 2021, Hartford, Connecticut. What else is going on, Evan? Game night live with Which Game First every Thursday night. We are back. 7 o'clock Eastern Time, Thursday nights. Watch along as we play a board game online for the first time. Raw, uncensored. Get our initial impressions of the game as we whip around the proverbial learning curve. (laughs) Often with the designer. That's correct, Celeste. We love having them on as well because who the hell else is going to teach us how to play the game? We're excited to be back after a whole month off. Ed, why were we off for a whole month? Because of the Board Game Design Conference, which you can still catch online at the BoardGameDesignConference.com and watch the videos. If you haven't signed up, you can just pay $10 now and just watch all the videos. And of course, if you did sign up, you can still go back and watch them again. (laughs) I know I still have to go back and get my notes. Yeah, I mean, I want to see that Clemens Franz talk again. For sure. Yeah. I'd love to watch it where I'm not trying to monitor the feed and like ask the questions. I just want to hear the talk. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) a lot of really good educational talks. You get 12 conferences. You can read all about the schedule. You can see all the talks you're going to get for that price right at BoardGameDesignConference.com. And as always, we want to thank our patrons. We got quite a few new ones in the last month. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, patrons. If you want to come and support our show and get an exclusive podcast for patrons only that we release every week bonus Bonus points points. bonus points called bonus points you can go to our website and click on become a supporter today we really appreciate patrons thank you so 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 much thank you patrons thank you guys thank you everyone (laughs) our next game up is between two castles of mad king ludwig Designed by Matthew O'Malley and Ben Rossett. Published by Stonemeyer Games with Bezier Games in 2018. Number of players 3 to 7 with a variant for 2. Ages 10 and up. Playtime 45 to 60 minutes. Okay, Mikey, what's inside this box? The cover of the box shows a peaceful river lolling its way through a lush green countryside which is quickly being overrun by bloated and ever-growing castles in the midst of seemingly never-ending construction. Look a little closer and you'll find 147 unique room tiles, 83 other tiles, 20 bonus cards, 7 player aids, 7 wooden castle tokens, 1 full-color double-sided 100-sheet score pad, and a (laughs) 4-piece game trays custom insert. And that's what's in the box. 
Well, before we present this review from our four thrones in the Grand Hall of the WGF Castle, or is it Castle WGF? (laughs) Evan, present the rules. (laughs) Thank you, Celeste. In Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig, you are a world-renowned master builder who has been asked by the Mad King Ludwig to help design his castles. Okay. Now, this is a competitive tile-drafting game in which each tile is a room in the castle. You work together with the player to your left to design one castle and with the player to your right to design another castle. On each turn, you select two tiles from your hand, reveal them, then work with your partners to place them. To win, you have to share your attention and your devotion between the two castles. Will your planning and collaborative skills be enough to design the most impressive castles in the world? Especially for a king as mad as Ludwig the Insane. We will find out. I, I, I made up Ludwig the Insane, by the Ludwig way. Ludwig the Mad. He hasn't quite gone insane yet. He's just mad king Ludwig. <laughs> yeah. Like mad awesome. I mean, no castles are great. <laughs> Speaking of mad castles, these castles were enough to make you go mad if you're not <laughs> careful. Because you're building two at once. Mm-hmm. One on each side of you. So I'm over here building a castle with Mike. I'm over here building a castle with Evan. Mike, Evan, Mike, Evan, Celeste, (laughs) what do you want to do? You want to put this wall here? Wait, I'm over here putting a window in. (laughs) Hang on. I got a fountain. Wait, does the fountain go to this castle or that castle? (laughs) It was very busy. (laughs) That's good. Always something you needed, too. It's like, darn it, darn it. I need need another uh, foundry for this one. Yeah, come on. (laughs) Yeah, and you start to see stuff that, oh, yeah, that'll work great for this castle over here. When really it would be much better for the castle over there. Now you have two great pieces for the castle on the right instead. Nothing for the castle on the left if you're not careful. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to use one piece on each side. Mm-hmm. So you have to you know, pick your battles in a way sometime. And be very yeah. careful because you're drafting. Even I felt a little rushed, right? And I'm usually the one who's rushing everybody else. Because <laughs> if you're not careful, Mike, you'll accidentally choose two pieces for one castle. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I did that <laughs> once. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's easy to do, too, because you have these, like, castle, and you're like, oh, I want this one to be really awesome. But then you think to yourself, well, if this one's super awesome, but the one on the right is garbage, I'm going to get the garbage points because you only score the lowest point castle. Mm-hmm. That's right. So you got to work both of them up very well. That's a that's a smart convention for a semi-co-op game like this. Yeah, it really changed the psychology of, of the game for me because I didn't really see anybody as my opponent anymore even though there was a person directly across from me that was completely unaffected by my decisions, I still didn't see them as an opponent. I just saw myself trying to do the best I could on both sides, and that was kind of interesting and fun. So oh, food type, oh, okay. living, It's the utility. types you mean, Ed? Yeah. I would rather you concentrate on Castle Yellow. We're going to do both. I'm going to concentrate so like, for on instance, both. this is blue. Did you have a discussion with your other partner? Absolutely. We're so right now like we have blue short. and we have... Oh, right. So we can place it here. Yeah. This kid, because this is a shield. Oh, it is so a shield. So this counts well, as a shield. Our, this so one's a shield a over here. So. Yeah, kind of a flip on the uh, Seven Wonders, where in Seven Wonders, your only enemies you have to worry about is the ones on the left and the right. Mm-hmm. Here, your your frenemies are the ones on your left and the right. <laughs> yeah, we're working together to build this one. Yeah, we're working together to this one. Huh. But I want to do better than both of you, though. But yeah, we're friends. <laughs> right. Yeah. A lot of one-upsmanship here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's two, there's a couple castles you can't affect at all. 
<laughs> so you're like, you, you want to pay attention to them, but there's nothing you can do about it, but just score more points on your own side. Oh, yeah. And that's just so great. It's like, yeah, the bonus points. But if I did one, if I put this one right here and then add all these other points together from that and you get some great synergy going, mwah, point. <laughs> <laughs> you do have an indirect effect on the person who, with whom you're not building the castle. Sort of, yeah. Because you are only drafting two of the tiles and then you're passing them and that will eventually get around to them so what you're giving up will eventually make its way whoa evan yeah. hold up hold up you mean <laughs> i was supposed to be thinking about what two guys away from me was going to take <laughs> away from the pile i'm leaving Depends, <laughs> i was yes. supposed to try and block ed <laughs> the, well the, 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 the only benefit to this game was not having to deal with ed <laughs> and the way the game play because everything's happening at the same time simultaneously basically it scales from three to seven players very well i can imagine it being like you can actually have six seven players here and the game wouldn't take that much longer my stack of nine tiles one of them had like six, I don't know, bedrooms or something, and only three <laughs> of different kinds. So I'm thinking, I better take these more unique tiles and send the the, the clutch of all the similar tiles across the table. So that mm -hmm. in that context, I was thinking about my opponent. And I appreciate honestly, that, Evan. Oh. Yeah, it worked out really well for us because Mike and I were doing bedroom, bedroom, bedrooms. We <laughs> yep. were like the Sleepy Time Castle. Yeah, was we the called it Sleepy from, Time you know Castle. Why? Because, I, because I forced you to go that direction effectively. <laughs> well, we started out there already in the beginning, and then you just kept, and because you saw us doing it, you didn't need them, so they got back to us again. Had I paid closer attention, maybe I would have changed my strategy. That's a good point, Evan. You might even want to block the person you're working with um, because you're like, hmm, Celeste is getting two good castles. You know, I, yes. I only want her to have the good castle between, you know, me and her, not the one between her and Mike. So I might, you might not want to give all those bedrooms to me and Mike. It was kind of cool, too, that like. You know, we came up with the name Sleepy Time Castle, but me and Ed also had the spy basement. Like we were going for like staircases mm -hmm. down to the basement and we had a spy room and each little each little tile has a name on it, like of what it's supposed to be. So I was like coming up with this whole story like, oh, here's the mushroom part of the basement where they make the poisons for the spy basement. <laughs> and like, you know, was it called <laughs> was it called Shadow Palace? Yeah. Oh, that's a good name. I didn't actually come up with a name for it because it's a spy. So I didn't want to have, you know, a name. That people would the know, shadow, but yeah, like that shadow palace. <laughs> and that, that brings me to another interesting part about this game is that there's 147 unique tiles, each with a unique piece of art on it. Mm -hmm. And the art on it is amazingly good on each oh, yeah. tile. Mm -hmm. I'm like blown away on, the, on these pieces. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we usually start talking about art, and it is true that we kind of skip past that. Uh, because this is traditional Euro art, but it is really stylish. The edges are sharp. Everything is crisp and clean. Yeah, I find sometimes it's harder to pick up a tile when it has a sharp corner rather than a rounded corner. But these weren't too bad, actually, because they were nice and thick and heavy, too. Mm -hmm. One thing I will say about having all those unique tiles, though, is that the player aids only could help you so much because they had a kind of a basic way that each type of tile worked, but they were all unique, so... They all fit in a different way. Yeah, it did take a little bit of uh, extra thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it, it kind of like helping you decode the language. Mm -hmm. Each tile had you know, a symbology on it. So once you understood the symbology language, you can say, oh, this one gets you every extra point for if I have 
more food above or below it. Okay, that they fill up the larder, boy. <laughs> yep. There was a lot of points to stacking the same types of tiles together, but there were a couple that balanced that out by having, you know, uh, rewards for having one of each type of tile too, which is always mm-hmm, good. Mm-hmm. Lots of combinations. Yeah. Oh my gosh, the scoring combinations yeah. were off the chart. All right, let's yeah, talk literally. about the scoring of this game. All yep, right, let's, let's, do it. let's get into it because we're, <laughs> we're, we're going to wrap up on this scoring. So as wonderful as I a, a time I had building these castles, I almost had as equally bad a time trying to score it because <laughs> it is so, so many ways to score. Mm-hmm. And it's so confusing that you're not even sure, like at the beginning, how to use the score sheet. it's like what it's all there (laughs) i'm like this is the most confusing score sheet i've ever seen and i have played (laughs) democker yeah i mean the pieces had so much synergy with each other that it was crazy because you'd have to basically score each tile instead of like scoring each type of score you'd have to just go tile Mm -hmm. by tile and say okay what does this tile have synergy with what does this one have synergy with yeah, and that's the way the score pad is set up. It has a little cell for you to write in the score of each individual tile that you have in the castle. And it starts off with the ones you have multiple of. So it's kind of, you kind of want to go through your whole castle, tile by tile, and just figure out the score for each piece and then add it up. And mm-hmm. See, Celeste, it was all there. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't mind spreadsheets, it's not too bad. <laughs> so picture this, right? You've got. 30 tiles, and then you've got a checklist of maybe 15 ways it can be scored. You have to do 30 times you have to go through that 15 square checklist. Mm -hmm. It's a time-consuming scoring process. Oh, that's the hard way to do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the way to not cheat. Yes, that's true. (laughs) Celeste, me and you built a castle together, okay? If I was cheating, then you were cheating. I think it was (laughs) Celeste and my castle, though, that earned celeste the victory yeah, it was. Yep. for the best cast because you had that crazy tower it was like seven spaces tall in the middle of your castle yeah we ramped up the tower at the very end and evan gets the credit really for giving me the win because it was the last turn that the tower ended up going up like three boxes on that last turn or something crazy oh, yeah we sent it into the sky and i had nothing to do with that because i was <laughs> over there building my castle with mike yeah. And so when I turned around, Evan had this gigantic tower in the middle and we had gotten a whole bunch of extra points. <laughs> so that's cool, Celeste. Actually, if you really wanted to, you could have just loafed around the entire game and done nothing. <laughs> just like- <laughs> You're right. Any, any player could. Yeah, Because somebody else is building the castle with you. Mm-hmm. You're right about that. Once we're all done playing the game, the game comes with two great inserts that you can put all the stuff into the box and it'll be ready to play instantly next time we have a really fun musical speed unboxing of this too that shows Mm -hmm. you those cool inserts you can check that out on instagram at which game first okay explorers it's time to dig up or bury between two castles of mad king ludwig mike i like the way the tiles told a story or at least let me tell a story about them and uh, that interesting team scoring mechanic made the game unique every single time you play with a bunch of different people so I have to dig it up to play and build another day. Evan? It was a lot of fun. Semi-co-op style game. I'm finding this style agreeable. And there's a lot of replayability here. Lots of paths to victory. Good amount of strategy. 
dig it up. Ed? Between two castles, it's fun and easy to play that can support many players without extending the game time much. I enjoyed building with a partner, so I'll dig this up to build some more castles for the Castle King! (laughs) (laughs) This game is always busy. No downtime, always something to look at or think about, and then it's over. Loved the full engagement and high-speed pacing. Dig it up. If you have thoughts about... Between two castles of Mad King Ludwig, let us know. We are at Which Game First on social media. Our last game up this week is Steve Canyon. Steve Steve Canyon! Canyon. (laughs) Designed by nobody. (laughs) Uncredited. Not a great sign. Never a great sign in this. Published by Lowell Toy Manufacturing in 1959. Ooh, a classic. Number of players, two to four. No age listed, no playtime listed. Mikey G, tell us what's in the box. (laughs) The cover of the box shows Steve Kenyon, a daredevil jet pilot with an ear-to-ear smile, which proves beyond a reasonable doubt that he really has no self-preservation instincts or even (laughs) the foggiest clue what he's getting himself into. Roger that. (laughs) Inside the box, we see a game board covered in tiny little numbers, four huge cardboard fuel gauges complete with metal dial, a single six-sided die, 16 paper airport marker chits, a stack of weather cards, and a stack of storm hazard cards. And that's what's in the box. Roger that, Mike. Before it's wheels up on this review, Evan, please tell us the rules. That's Romeo Uniform Lima Echo Sierra. (laughs) Copy that, Celeste. In Steve Canyon, players are 1950s-era jet pilots flying their F-105 Thunder Chiefs to three different air bases. I did not know they were F-105 Thunder Chiefs. Yeah, I kind of knew they were F-105. Of course you did, nerd. I'm proud of that. (laughs) Here's how you play. You roll a D6 and you move that many boxes left, right, forward, backwards, or diagonal. Every box has an altitude. Yep, every box on that. How many did we count? Was it a 36 by 36 grid? I mean, it's It's about 8 million boxes. (laughs) And every box has an altitude. The only rule is that you have to proceed in 1,000 foot increments. You can go from 2,000 feet to 3,000 feet, but you can't go from 2,000 feet to 4,000 feet. Oh, no. No, 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 no. (laughs) This is very luck driven in that a roll of one die determines movement on the map and also altitude increments of 1,000 feet. Player choices amount to deciding what altitude to fly and which airfield to visit next. Random weather cards cause problems while flying over certain areas of the board or flying through certain altitudes. Fuel consumption is basically one unit every time the die is rolled, and running out of fuel can force a landing at an emergency airfield or cause a pilot to bail out. But the first person to complete the circuit, which means visiting three different airbases and collecting those cards and proof that you were there, is the winner and the ultimate Steve Kenyon. Steve Steve Kenyon! Kenyon. (laughs) I really hope that's what their theme song sounds like. (laughs) There was no theme song. We had to make one up. (laughs) 
Yeah, this was a comic book, not a TV show. So that we That's just right. Made it was based on a comic. But it was show. on TV as well. <gasps> no way. Yes. No. Yes. Yes, it was. And I just noticed that there's a YouTube out there. Somebody colorized. I'm gonna watch it as soon as this this podcast is over. <laughs> but Steve Canyon started as a comic strip. We have not an unboxing, but a carousel of photos on Instagram <laughs> of this. It just naturally comes out as Steve Canyon based on the cover, right? Am I right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It does. The it font. Does. It's does. funny because there's no like exclamation point there or anything. We added the exclamation point ourselves in our the way we talk about it. Well, the subtitle has an exclamation point. Oh. You're a real jet pilot in this exciting Air Force game. <laughs> That's a lie. Yeah. We are not real jet pilots. Okay, Evan, did you feel like a real jet pilot? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. No, I did not. Not at all. Even though you could control your gas gauge with a yes. real working gas gauge dial, one for each player. The gas gauge worked. And it was cool. It was very cool. Everybody got their own little dashboard that they could put up in front of them and control the fuel, which was impossible to properly keep track of, regardless of the dial, because (laughs) you have to move the darn thing every time you roll. But Mike, you're constantly missing turns. So you forget. Poor Mike, you tried. You tried (sighs) so hard to get us to all move our dials in unison so we yeah. wouldn't forget until you realize to your horror that we cannot mm-hmm. move them in unison. Yeah, you can't sync them up. There's no way to do it. No, no. Once one person lands out of sync, the others, yep, the fuel gauge are not in sync oh, anymore. Yes. Yeah. Right. And I have to point out that the, the, the gauge displays, has lots of little gauges on it. It looked kind of cool, but only one of them matters. It's the fuel gauge. Right, and it's like six takes and then you're out of fuel. <laughs> yeah, they put some extra effort into the artwork in this game. I Give them credit. For 1959, this artwork. Artwork and, and frankly, components, okay? Yeah. It came with plastic airplanes that looked much nicer than the garbage that came in that jet game last week. Jet oh, race. God. I mean, really nice looking, good colors, distinct, yellow, Mm -hmm. green, blue, red, mounted on a plastic piece that properly fit inside of each square. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what else did it got in the game that the other one didn't have? A game. game. Yeah, that's right. Some choices. Some choices. A couple (laughs) of decisions. Yeah. I think it was kind of interesting the way they decided to represent altitude in this game was pretty elegant, I got to say. Yeah, I was really intrigued by that. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to follow the contours of the map, as it were. Mm-hmm. The, the map has like elevation contours, kind of like almost like if you look at a, a topographical map mm-hmm. with the different right. elevation. You try to you know, maneuver your way. You have to go, oh, they're going to go this way, then that way, and then following the numbers up left are the same. Some actual thought and design went into this game. Yeah, it kind of feels like terrain and air currents at the same time. Yeah, and I mean, there's like 500 squares on this little board. No. No, there's 40 times 40, it looks like. Oh, it's 36 by 36, which was what, about 1,200? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so 1,200. I was horrified when Ed opened up the board and every single square had a number. I'm like, what is this? (laughs) But as soon as you realize it's simply an altitude marker, it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, okay. All right, this is all right. It's manageable. I think it would have been cool if they did like colors instead of numbers, kind of like, you know, a hot, cold like thing. That would have been neat too. Sure. But yeah, the numbers worked. Holy cow, running out of gas was like 
a regular thing. <laughs> Part of the game. Let yeah. me ask you this. I don't know if you guys know anything about pilot like jets of this era, but like were no. they at risk of running out of gas that often? Uh, I mean, they were gas guzzlers for sure, yeah. but yeah, I don't think Jet they ran out of gas thing. just yeah. going from one state to the other. I mean, I've never heard of a single pilot making seven crash landings in the same game <laughs> or time. Just by going to three airports, I made seven crash landings. Yeah, but you can glide yourself and land safely and only miss three turns. But if you actually... <laughs> this is the first time I've seen missed turns in a game be an actual game currency. It uh, is. Yeah. And, and, it, and really, yeah. they should have not called it missed turns because it's not. Mm-hmm. Right? right. It's just refueling time. It's a resource management thing. You know, if they had given you stuff that you could spend... Instead Mm -hmm. of, you know, turns or something, it would have been much better. But just psychologically call it something else, like refit. (laughs) Right. Or like repairing points of damage each turn. Or maybe even refuel your tank one click every time with your turn. Mm -hmm. That call them missed turns. Actually do something like that. Yeah, and then you can choose, like, how many turns you want to stay grounded for, too. You can say, hey, I think I only need a little bit more fuel to get here. What a great idea. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So I want a few tweaks. I think this could be good. And also, I think the other thing that set this thing back Mm -hmm. is that it's a roll and move with just one die. So, yeah, roll. One. Yeah, it's my turn to go. You waste the whole fuel. And then, like, Evan over there is rolling six, 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 six. Hey, I have no problem. I got across the map. No problem with three sixes in a row. It all depends on your roll. Unfortunately, that's what it comes down to. Right. So it's a fifth of a tank every single time you roll to die, regardless (laughs) of whether you roll a one or a six. Oh, yeah. So it could take you you (laughs) 10 turns or three turns to get across the board. Mm -hmm. 2D board work a little better. At least you got like a little bell curve going. Bit of a slog. And storm hazards. Oh, yeah. Bring in the storm hazards. There's always storm hazards. Evan, you yeah. got blown off course 10 spaces at one point by hitting a storm <laughs> I hazard. I did. That was one of my hazards. And you know what, Evan? Evan gladly took that instead of missing 12 turns from yeah. a crash. <laughs> because, right, my I was out of fuel. My only option was to crash land, but I couldn't because of my altitude. I had to get down to a certain altitude to do a glide, so only miss three turns. The storm wound up pushing me to a square where the altitude was low enough, which I could do the glide in. Thank goodness. So lucky because having to go up consecutive altitude or down, so brutal. Mm -hmm. Because some Mm -hmm. altitudes would be completely blocked by storm. And then you just couldn't get there. That's right. You're stuck and you had to crash. Yeah, because it'll say (laughs) something like storm at 2,000 feet. So you can't cross the 2,000 foot threshold or you'll be in the storm. So you can't land. Anywhere. (laughs) <laughs> basically just have to pray that the hazard is not too brutal mm-hmm. they had another thing too where it was like fog like low fog where you couldn't land mm-hmm. unless you followed a specific path on the map that was lit up for just this emergency the fog light emergency mm-hmm. path right mm-hmm. you had to follow that path in well, only one way in and out of any airport at that point this game was actually kind of clever if it wasn't that for that one die that and the weather card were a little bit much i, I- I think it's a good sign when you're you're looking at a game and saying, you know, it'd almost be good, and if they just tweaked a couple of things here, mm-hmm. it'd, it'd actually be modern. Yeah, but for that era, it was pretty interesting, though. Those were some novel mechanics. Pretty good for a toy company. Right, exactly. <laughs> Based on a comic book. Okay, everybody, it's time to dig up or bury Steve Kenyon. <laughs> Ed? I was intrigued with some of the mechanics in the game. 
But <laughs> the one die rolling move and the super harsh weather card. Oh my God. It's just a bit too unbearable to take off for another flight. So I'm going to have to bury it in the hangar for now. Mike? It was kind of a terrible game. Not the worst we've ever played, but it had a couple of no, but it had a couple decent mechanics. I feel like I want to take this game and tweak the heck out of it and make a a, a really good game out of it. But for now, as it stands, I have to bury it. Evan. Well, Steve Canyon is superior when you compare it to two other recent jet race games. <laughs> yeah, jet race and all aboard. Oh, boy. Oof. In Steve Canyon, there's some actual thought and game design that went into the game. But in the end, it's still a race game which relied on a lot of luck, such as good dice rolls and favorable weather conditions. Uh, a good effort for the mid-1950s, but not enough for 2020s. Bury it. Steve Canyon is not a glass flight. You know what glass means? That's pilot slang for smooth. I like that. Oh, okay. Smooth as <laughs> glass. I won't say it's negative contact on fun, also pilot slang, but uh, <laughs> but the fun is a little bit too off in the distance, so going to have to bury it. But I'm telling you, the gas gauge was heck of fun. It was neat. It was fun. If you have thoughts about all together now, Steve Kenyon. <laughs> that was terrible. Terribly great. <laughs> Come chat with us. We are at which game first on social media. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you're doing. If you'd like more content from us, especially our patron-only private podcast that comes out weekly. Bonus points. Bonus points. Just go to our website and click on become a supporter today. Please, if you get a chance, like us or rate us or review us anywhere. It really helps others find the show. Happy gaming, explorers. Help me, Steve Canyon. You're my only hope. Brave in the melee, loyal to the king. Steve Canyon, flying through the skies with the bravest air force alive. Steve Canyon. A real jet pilot. <laughs> <laughs>